But the second therapist had 22 years experience and she noticed something right away. It was April and Billy was out on the playground. Again, one, another one of his favorite things when he was young. And I saw her, she was standing to my right and she looked very pensive and concerned. And that was probably my first twinge of a worry because I saw her look. And I remember saying, I said, you see something, don't you? And she said, yeah. She said, I'm glad you're going to the neurologist on Monday. We saw her on Friday. On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedegatian-type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. My name is Kevin Fryert. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son, Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Come join us to hear the story unfold. Welcome back to Raising Rare. This week, we are continuing our occasional series about being at the other end of the tunnel, where we talk to families that have found treatments for rare conditions for themselves or their kids. Recently, we had the honor and joy of speaking with Terry and Billy Ellsworth, a mom and her son who has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, or DMD. They were on the front lines of research that has now brought hope to some boys with DMD, including Billy himself. In this episode, we hear about the diagnostic odyssey that eventually led to Billy participating in a clinical study. Welcome to the series. Uh, This is exceptional because, as as you all know, my son has this ultra-rare genetic condition due to a mutation in a gene called GPX4. And he's one of nine kids in the world, which means there is obviously no one working on his research or there is no medication today. And my, my journey has been all about finding a treatment for him. And, and this series around light to the end of the tunnel is, is so empowering for me personally, because it is truly a way for me to see what life looks like once you have a treatment, what being a parent or being a child looks like once you have a treatment for, for these rare genetic diseases. And it gives me hope, immense hope that one day Raghav will also get his treatment. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you, Sana. And how old is your son? How old is Raga? He is uh, two and a half years old. He's he's quite small, uh, but we, we got started in this journey when he was about a year old. Okay. And what what is the prognosis? It's unclear because his, you know, he when he he got diagnosed, we thought he was the only kid with this disease. Turns out we have nine kids in the world with this condition, and we have not found more kids in the last year. So we don't really know what the future holds for him. Mm-hmm. We do know that he particularly has skeletal abnormalities, neurological abnormalities. He has very severe hypotonia. He has hearing difficulties and vision problems. He cannot sit, stand, walk, or talk, or hold a toy, or eat anything by mouth. So the prognosis, uh, in, in summary, is, is very poor, and we, we don't really know what the future holds for him. Mm-hmm. Has the, is there a gene identified yet? Yes, yes. Okay. It, we, know, we know that this is because of a mutation in GPX4. 
um, and we know that this is pathogenic and this is causative. Uh, we just we just don't quite haven't put things together to get to a treatment yet. Okay. Yeah, I have a lot of friends in similar situations where it's ultra rare and you know where duchenne is rare as we all know and we're amongst you know a handful of lucky or billy particularly so billy has duchenne muscular dystrophy was uh, diagnosed at age four you know our journey obviously is at the other end of the the rainbow you know with immense hope um, in the future, hopefully sooner than later, because of advancement. Since the discovery of Duchenne in 1860s, and then the gene was discovered in 1986, and then here we are, uh, what, 30, 40 years later with Billy testing a drug for five and a half years, and then ultimately fast forward five and a half years in clinical trial, we received FDA f- approval. Not not easy, I might add. Wow. Before we get too deep into the story, can you share with our listeners who may or may not know what Duchenne muscular dystrophy is, what is sure. the disease, and what's the natural history of the condition, particularly before there were treatments? So Duchenne muscular dystrophy, the world also knows it by DMD for short is a degenerative and relentlessly progressive muscle disease. It's always uh, lethal. Uh, It's a pediatric genetic disease. It shows no mercy or or consideration to age of the mom or ethnicity. And what I mean by age of the mom, 65% of the time, this is an inherited disease. And 35% of the time, it's a spontaneous uh, mutation, which is what Billy's was. Billy was diagnosed in 2005. And of course it was devastating. And I was hysterical for a brief while because it's, it's just an absolutely horrible, like I said, relentless progressive disease. So yeah, there's the inheritance uh, piece of that. Um, Billy uh, is a spontaneous mutation that was verified because I finally had my DNA tested two years ago and I'm not a carrier. So my suspicion was right that, you know, it, it does not lie in my family. But, you know, I was thinking at first, unless it lied dormant for a couple of generations, which it could do, but I was tested and it came back negative. So you know, I was beyond childbearing years, uh, but I wanted to know for closure and peace of mind, but also because I have two nieces that are childbearing age. Mm-hmm. So now that's one thing they don't have to be concerned with. So the average lifespan of a Duchenne patient is mid to late 20s. Uh, however, we lose many much younger. But in contrast to that, there are also some living throughout the world into their 30s and 40s but that is not the natural history of the disease. The natural history of the disease is that they lose their battle with Duchenne due to cardiac or respiratory problems because people forget that the heart and lungs are muscles. That's how they meet their demise. They they usually lose loss of ambulation. Eight, 10, 12 years old is the average. Some will still ambulate at 14, 16, but that's rare. 
Billy is 20 and a half now. His birthday is January. And he is still uh, walking pretty well, considering Duchenne walks into the hospital weekly for his infusion. He has an endocrinologist checkup tomorrow. He'll walk in for that. And he, um, you know, pretty much does everything himself. This morning, got dressed, fed himself, carried his dishes to the sink, walked in here into the dining room where we're sitting now. So we're we're one of the very few families, you know, that can talk like this, and we're very grateful. And that's due to, due to a um, a drug treatment that he is on. Yeah, so that's pretty much the uh, natural history. This could be perhaps the first generation to survive Duchenne. And I say that because of the other therapies on the horizon, meaning gene therapies that have been in trial for a couple of years. Statistics uh, about incidence is about one in 5,000 baby boys will be diagnosed with Duchenne each year. So for instance, Billy at Billy's, the hospital where I gave birth, there were 10,000 babies born, I was told that year, and figure maybe 5,000 were boys, 5,000 were girls is what I was told. So he was probably the only boy born that year in 2001 with Duchenne, since incidence is one in 5,000. And there were roughly 20,000 Duchenne patients in the U.S. alone maybe a little over a quarter million throughout the world. Thank you so much for that. So DMD is pretty well known among rare diseases. People have probably heard of it, but I don't think everyone understands kind of that impact that they stop walking when they're eight to 10 years old, that they continue to lose that mobility and dexterity and eventually, you know, their hearts and, and respiratory systems give out. But when, when and how did you find out that Billy might have DMV? You said it was spontaneous mutation. Um, so you weren't suspecting this at all until things started to happen. Right. Yeah, not at all. Um, I was an older mom, but age does not matter. There are 18-year-old moms that can have, you know, a boy with Duchenne. Billy wasn't diagnosed until he was four and a quarter. I was able to work from home for the first three years of his life. And then I went back to uh, work full time when he was three. So I found a daycare preschool that I was very comfortable with. And that, and he only went part time. It was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> uh, full time. And it was good for socialization. He was a very social, you know, little boy back then. It still is, but he loved playing with other kids. So I found one I was happy with. They invited me to a parent teacher conference, uh, which, of course, I went to. And they had a folder full of drawings that he had done, Polaroid pictures, and, you know, everything, everything was rosy. And they said he really loves music and he really likes doing puzzles, even, you know, like difficult puzzles. And so it all sounded great. And I remember having a smile on my face, hearing all of this, but then they got really serious. And with they, meaning the preschool director and his teacher, They said, but they've noticed some delays in his fine and gross motor skills, meaning out on the playground, which they went out every day, and which he loved when he was little. And they said he had difficulty climbing and difficulty uh, just keeping up with his peers. He fell a lot. There seemed to be an injury report 
that they would give to me or his dad, whoever picked him up. And I remember one time asking them, is this common? You know, because he's my only child. And even though I grew up and, you know, around dozens of kids, you know, my, my siblings and cousins um, never had one of my own. So they said, yeah, it's caught, you know, it's, it's not, it's not surprising, but they said he does seem to fall more than typical. And then they said, uh, you know, a little difficulty and uh, delayed in using scissors, utensils, and so on. And they said, you know, we're telling you this, just, just let your pediatrician know. Well, his, his well visit was coming up the very next month. And I, of course, you know, faithfully took him to his annual well visit. And I called ahead and I said, just let doctor know. This is what preschool was saying. So he can spend a few extra minutes with them. So uh, go to the doctor spent extra 15 minutes, had Billy walk the hallway. And I, I still can picture the doctor and had his arm crossed across his chest and his other arm up on his chin. He said, nope, I really don't see anything that's red flagging. But he said to make his exact words, his, to make mom feel better, let's uh, schedule uh, a, an appointment with a physical therapist and neurologist. Now, back then, I thought neurologist, that's the brain. And everybody always said how smart Billy was. He was verbal uh, very early. Uh, the pediatrician told me, had a larger vocabulary. And I thought, well, there's nothing wrong with his brain. So I wasn't worried about that. And physical therapy seemed to make sense to me. So long story short, we had to wait four months for those appointments. First physical therapist spent an hour with him, very thorough. But she said pretty much the same thing. I don't see any red flags. He didn't fall. She had a little obstacle set up. But the only thing she didn't check was him climbing stairs. And I noticed this maybe when he was around three, when he would take my hand, you know, to go up the stairs and he seemed to labor at it. And being a first time mom, I wasn't sure, but I thought for three years old, you know, he should be running up the stairs. But instead he... I remember when describing it that he seemed, he definitely labored at it and it was more like an elderly man. So that was in the back of my mind, but just thought, well, we'll wait and see what develops. So I said that to the young physical therapist. She says, yeah, you're right. Let's take him out to the stairwell. And she saw him. She says, yeah, you're right. He seems to struggle a little bit. Let's schedule six more PT sessions so that he could catch up with his peers because he was due to start school the next year. The very next week, we went to a physical therapist. She was twice the age of the first therapist who had just graduated from physical from school. She had just graduated until later. But the second therapist had 22 years experience, and she noticed something right away. It was April, and Billy was out on the playground. Again, one, another one of his favorite things when he was young. And I saw her. She was standing to my right. And she looked very pensive and concerned. And that was probably my first twinge of a worry because I saw her look. And I remember saying, I said, you see something, don't you? And she said, yeah. She said, I'm glad you're going to the neurologist on Monday. We saw her on Friday. So then I was worried and uh, he was having just the time of his life out on that playground on that warm April day and couldn't get enough of it. So then, you know, we went Monday to the neurologist and that's, that's when 
I was grew really concerned. He had Billy, who was four, and he was Billy. You know, I've pictured many, of course, hundreds and hundreds of pictures of him. He looked healthy. He was your typical adorable, you know, preschooler at the time. He was he was a very cute little boy. Some of my favorite years, uh, uh, pre-diagnosis and all the happy memories. So physically, you could never, you know, tell anything. Now I should say he was also a delayed walker. He didn't walk until 18 and a half months. And I was concerned about that. But the pediatrician said, no, we're going to give it another couple months. And, and finally, he started walking. But I never saw him crawl. He did what we call in the DMD world, uh, the army maneuver, where he sort of uh, was on his belly. And uh, he would try to get up on all fours, but never really quite accomplished that. So he would sort of uh, shimmy along on his belly to get across the floor when he was, you know, before he walked. And he fell a lot and he had trouble jumping, climbing, skipping. And what I used to call his quirky, cute little run, where he had that quirky, cute little run because of muscle weakness. His dad, I remember we were watching him out in the front yard and his dad looked very pensive at one time. I think he he suspected something. And I remember we were watching him and I said, what's wrong? What are you thinking? And he says, I don't know. He said, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something. So his dad was very intuitive back then. So, you know, fast forward, we're at the neurologist and the neurologist is asking Billy to do, you know, I say five simple things, skip on one foot, hop, jump, get on the floor and get up like supine to stand. And every time Billy did one of these, he didn't do it proficiently. And the doctor looked at, I don't know if this was a nurse or a PA or an NP, but every time the neurologist, you know, would look at her and I saw concern. And then I started worrying. I thought my women's instinct is very strong, still is uh, to this day. And I remember thinking something's wrong, something's wrong. Um, this isn't going well. And finally he said, Billy, I want to see how you climb upstairs. And I remember thinking, oh no. And so we went out to the hallway and there, there was a set of, um, you know, there were stairs going up to the next floor, probably maybe eight feet wide, seven, eight feet wide. And so Billy, you know, cause he's, he's having fun doing all this. It didn't feel like we were at a doctor's office and he certainly didn't comprehend what was going on. Instead of going to the railings, which were right and left, he went straight up the middle and on all fours. And again, I saw the doctor look at his, his associate so he already knew he was, you know, what was to come, what he was going to tell us. And I said, no, 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 Billy. I said, go over and hold on to the railing. Well, he did. And, but he struggled up the stairs, a couple of stairs, you know, he didn't alternate feet. He, you know, did it the Duchenne way. Um, so we went back into the office. Then the doctor starts taking my family history. And I didn't know where this was going back then. He said, okay. He said, the next step was, he said, I want to have some blood drawn. He says, I want to check for muscle disease. He didn't call it muscular dystrophy. He said muscle disease. And this is the part where I, you know, get a little emotional as my eyes are tearing up. Now telling you this, I started sobbing and um, Billy came over to me in his little four-year-old way and said, mama, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And so we're actresses, right? That's what we say. So we have to put our actress Oscar 
her face on and um, pretend. But I suspected, okay, something is wrong. My my instincts are right again. And so he says, if you have time, if you could go upstairs and have some blood drawn. So I said, come on, Billy, let's um, let's go. Um, they're going to take your blood. And he started crying and he said, no, no, I don't want them to take my blood. I like my blood. From that day forward, I thought, okay, I really have to watch what I say, you know, and of course they weren't draining all of his blood. They were, you know, taking a couple of tubes. The doctor said, I will call you in a week or two once I have the results. Well, that week or two turned into the very next day as I'm sitting at my desk at work. And I get the phone call from the nurse and she tells me the results of the CPK test, which I never heard of. I remember the exact feeling we all do. I was sitting at my desk and it was very surreal, but she was giving me the results of the CPK test. Billy's was nearly 18,000. Typical was 200, 250. She continued to explain, even if the CPK was 500, they wouldn't be as concerned because maybe he was extra active, you know, when the blood was drawn. So I was asking questions. She says, you know what? I'm going to put the doctor on so you, he can talk to you. So he came on and, um, and I said, you know, just, are you sure? And he says, he says, yeah, I'm 90% sure. He said, but um, he says, I already have an appointment for you at the muscular dystrophy clinic at children's hospital. And I remember him saying that, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing again, so surreal is is the perfect word for that. It it's like this can't be happening. You hear, and I'm sure Sonneth can relate to this. You know, things like this happen to other people, not to you. But I have since learned we are no different or any any more special than anybody, any other parent in the world. And of course, it can happen to you, and it does. You know, four days later, we set foot in the muscular dystrophy clinic. And I remember calling uh, Billy's dad at work and independent of each other, neither of us knew we were doing this. We started Googling CPK and it kept leading me to Duchenne and Becker, Duchenne and Becker, but Duchenne was more prevalent on the internet. So I thought, okay, I'm going to click on Duchenne. Well, (laughs) that was uh, brutal uh, reading about Duchenne. And the more I read, the more brutal it got. And I remember just sobbing at my desk reading about the cardiac and the respiratory implications. I'm still here, aren't I? That's amazing. Um, Billy, you, 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 you don't, you you probably possibly cannot imagine how, how happy uh, your mom is and how happy I am just hearing, hearing what you said, because, you know, as I was hearing through the story, my heart started pounding. I was like, I have no idea what, I, I can't even imagine how you went through this journey. And, you know, I'm, I'm going through my journey on my own. It's, it's different, but it's similar. Billy, you just made, made me cry because, you know, this is exactly what, what I'm hoping for my son would say one day. Yeah. At the time, you know, it's just, it's devastating. It's such a cruel disease. But the doctor gave us hope. I thought that was going to be the worst day of my life. Instead, I left there with hope. I truly thought this is going to be absolutely horrible. And it was a Friday afternoon. And we left there. And I say we left there with a spring in our step because he gave us hope. And this doctor had been there 40 years. He was re- he retired. He, I'm told we were his last family. 
and he came in to give us the bad news. Um, and it was further confirmed through a DNA uh, pathology report where we found out his deletion and mutation. So we left there because he told us about one, there was one clinical trial in progress. This is 2005, April. So 16 years ago, there was only one. And it wouldn't help Billy because that was for another mutation. But he said, uh, keep your eye on other trials coming down the pike, his words. There's something called exon skipping that will be here in a few years. And that's the one that will help, um, you know, may help Billy. We left there with hope, but who, who would have thought that, you know, when he was diagnosed, that he would then fast forward uh, six years, that he would be w one of the first in the world to test an experimental drug. And uh, he responded to it very successfully. So how did you learn about the clinical trial that he was in? My local MDA office would call me every time there was a new family diagnosed. The calls just started happening. And finally, I said to the person at the MDA office, I said, is this typical? Is this, you know, what you do when there's a new family who wants to be connected? And she said, no, but she said, you have handled this so well and you, you have such a great attitude. I just think you would be a good one for the newly diagnosed parents to talk to because of how you're handling it and, you know, your hope. So that's how I met my good friend, Darcy. So fast forward and my friend Darcy in 2009 called me, I think she emailed me and said, Hey, I just heard of a clinical trial due to start here in the States, but it's not going to help her son, Christian. She wouldn't mind me using names. She said, but I'm pretty sure this is Billy's mutation. And so she sent me the info and I said, yeah, sure enough it is. She said, call this person. So I emailed this a researcher out of Ohio State. And I said, my friend passed this along. And I remember practically begging in the email. I said, please, you know, keep our information and please try to include him in this if possible. And so that was 2009. And twice a year, every six months, this researcher kept in touch with me and just checking on Billy's health. Fast forward a year, we're in 2010. And I started getting worried. It's like, okay, is this ever going to happen? She says, no, 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 it's going to happen. So finally, in 2011, in March, I was working our home and garden show as a designer for where I worked. And I got a call, but I didn't recognize the number. So I didn't answer it. I mean, I don't pick up calls unless I recognize the number, but they left a message. And I listened to it and I was shocked and also mad at myself that I didn't take the call because it was from Dr. Jerry Mendel. He's world renowned, has conducted more mm -hmm. clinical trials for uh, Duchenne than any doctor in the world. He said, it appears that your son is amenable to this uh, experimental drug trial, wondering if he'd still be interested. So I called him back immediately, but of course missed him. And I remember it would being after 6 p.m. So I had to wait until the next day and I could barely sleep that night. So we finally connected the next day and um, he, he explained to me what was going on, that they're, they're getting ready to start the trial. Billy is amenable to that exon skipping trial. And if he screams, okay, 
and passes all the screening, uh, would you want him to be in this trial? And there were only 12 patients in this trial, which is very small. It's a rare disease. You heard the phrase, fast forward, many times as Terry told the story. However, in reality, there were years of waiting that they endured. And you are going to need to wait to hear the rest of the story. Next time on Raising Rare, we are going to discuss the clinical study and get Billy's perspective on what it has meant for him to be a participant. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a treatment and cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4 on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. You can continue to follow Raga's story next time on Raising Rare.